this good. It's just one of my favorites. It always has been, and it probably always will be. And so, and I'm, this is a new um, thing for me, so I'm going to use this. Uh, and you know, I think it's the perfect Eastern Shore scripture. And when I get to this scripture, taste and see the Lord is good, I always think about crabs. I am not kidding you. That is where my mind goes. Because if you don't know anything about crabs, when you see that thing on the table, the first time, right, you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do with that? And what's it going to taste like? And how am I going to get into it? And what am I going to do? And so you can look at it, and you're not getting it, right? And you can smell it, you can pick it up, and you can get that briny smell of the bay, but you still don't know like what's coming up for you. You can read about it, you could pick up a recipe book or read about it, and you could hear somebody else telling you about how it's going to taste. They could describe it. There's even, there's hundreds of videos now how to open a crab, right? <laughs> Just all the experts giving their secret of how to do it. But you got to make that decision, right? you got to make that decision to get in there and get that sweet piece of meat with that spicy seasoning and put it in your mouth to really know what it is, right? And so it is with the Lord. It's a decision to taste and see. And tasting is jumping in. We think of taste, maybe you think like, oh, you just take a little morsel and you just take a little bit of taste. But no, taste is jumping in, going right into it. And you know, once you get that taste of the crab, what happens? You're not stopping, are you? No, man, you're pushing your sleeves up. You're getting into that mess and you're enjoying it. And that's the Lord. When we get that taste of the Lord, we just want more and more and more of it. And it gets messy, doesn't it? It gets messy. Because he starts calling us to places that we may not want to go, right? And he might have us talking to people and talking about things that we didn't imagine that we were ever going to be doing that. And he's helping us. He's having us take a look at ourselves. And that's messy. He's showing us who we are. And then he's showing us who Jesus is, right? And we have that comparison. Who am I and who is Jesus? And how am I going to move from here where I am to here where Jesus is? But it's worth it, right? It's worth that mess. It's worth diving into. And so today I want to talk to you about making a decision to really jump into the Lord. And what is that going to look like? Because only you can do that. You know, nobody else can do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. You have a wonderful pastor here. Pastor Gary is a wonderful pastor. 
He is out in the community. He is working in all kinds of groups. We have a number of students at the SOAR who come from Washington College. Did you know that Pastor Gary works with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes there at Washington College? He is all over the place. And as good as Pastor Gary is and as faithful as he is, he cannot make the decision for you. You have to do it yourself. And your wife can't do it for you. And your husband can't do it for you, right? They could be great models to you. They could talk to you about the gospel and share it with you. They could be living it. But you got to do it for yourself. You got to make that decision to taste it yourself. And your mother can't do it for you or your grandmother. Now, if you saw my page here, you would see that I have a little asterisk next to this. Because I do believe that there have been times that because of the prayers of mothers and grandmothers, people have gone to heaven. But I'm saying to you, you don't take that chance in relying on somebody else. It's your decision to make. Just like I believe because of the goodness of God and that his desire that no one should perish, that he will keep giving us a chance even to the last second. But with that said, I'm not saying for you to wait on making that decision. I want you to make that decision today if you haven't already. But the nature of God is that no one shall perish. So I just remembered I have this, so I'm going to change to a new slide maybe. In 1 Peter, Peter talks about this psalm, and he talks about tasting. And so let's go to that. Well, actually, let me just go back to this for now. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So what does David say first? He says taste, right? Taste. Taste is an action. Taste is a decision. He wants you to do it and then see. Then watch and wait and observe for what happens. He doesn't say to us, keep looking around and waiting for God to do good things and then go to him. He's saying, no, go first. Now, we know God is always working for us, amen? He's doing the good things all the time. But we need to take that first step. And we know that once we taste that goodness of God, we want more and more of it. So now I'm going to go to Peter. Let's turn, if you have your Bibles there, we're going to go to 1 Peter. It's toward the very end of the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. And there it is up there. And so this is advice or talk that Peter is giving. And he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you will grow up in your salvation, and now you will have tasted that the Lord is good. And I said, milk. When I was practicing at home, I was saying milk, because that's how I would say it when I grew up in western New York. So Peter is talking to believers. He's not talking to the people outside the church. He's talking to the people in the church. And this is the early church. So we have kind of two groups. We have 
the Jews who are now following Jesus, they know that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we have the Gentiles who have been welcomed into this community with Jesus too. And Peter is encouraging them because it's a time of persecution. They're under Nero, the Roman emperor, and there's a great deal of persecution because Nero is using the, the new Christians as the scapegoat for all the problems. So everything that happens, he's blaming it on them. And so Peter is trying to encourage them, but at the same time, he's telling them what they need to do. So the first part of this is he's telling them, these are all believers, what to get rid of. So you see, just because we're a believer doesn't mean that we don't have these things, right? This is the human condition. We all have these things in us. It is only because of the power of Christ that we can overcome them or try to overcome them. And so he's saying to these believers, put away all malice. So what is malice? It's ill will or the desire to do evil. Even to the believers, some who have personally seen and lived with Jesus, he has to say this to them. Deceit. Deceit is con to conceal or misrepresent the truth. Now remember, the truth is a person. Tr Jesus is the truth. It's a person. It's a living person. People can try to misconstrue Jesus or change that truth around. Hypocrisy. Get rid of that. What's hypocrisy? Well, that's behavior that doesn't match the words. So this is one of the two, to me, one of the two biggest criticisms of the church. It was happening then, and it's happening now. When what we say as believers of Christ does not match with how we act. And those outside the church are watching. And they're watching and they're waiting to see that, to point it out, to use it as a reason not to come. Now, we're not perfect, and we're never going to be perfect. There's only one perfect person who ever came, and that was Jesus. But through the power of Jesus, when we taste the goodness of the Lord, and we walk toward that, and we want more of it, we are going to have the power through Jesus to overcome some of these things the second big thing I think that keeps people from the church involves people who have been in the church, been hurt by the church, and then have left and don't want to come back. And I hear this all the time when I invite people to church. And they say, no, I used to go to church and this such and such thing happened. I'll never go back to church again. And that's when we have to try, with the help of God, to explain that those mistakes that were made in the church were made by a person, not by God, right? That was not God that did that to you. We have to get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. So envy, what's that? It's a longing or desire for something else or some, something that belongs to someone else. A lot of times it could be a consumer good or things like that. But it's also about characteristics. It might be 
wanting more attention or more power or people to uh, give you more credit or these kind of things. And Christ came so there would be no competition. Christ is the leveling factor. The cross was the leveling factor. That there would no longer be Jews and Gentiles, male, female, master, slave. There wouldn't be this division anymore. All would be loved by Christ. All can be accepted by Christ. And so the envy has no place in the church at all. Slander. We want to get rid of slander, making a false statement that damages someone's reputation. And that goes on in the church, too. Sometimes we're, it's not that you're saying, you don't say anything, but I've heard in churches people sort of implying things to kind of get the wheels turning in a negative way about something. And then, you know, there's that way in the South that sometimes we do it, that um, we say a saying, we say something about someone, and then at the end we say, oh, bless their heart, like that makes it okay about what we just said, right? But there's no competition in Christ. And Peter is writing to these believers to uplift them during this time of persecution and to remind them that persecution isn't just outside the church, but it's inside the church sometimes too. So Paul really talked about a lot of these things when he uses the analogy in 1 Corinthians 12 of the body of Christ being a body. And he talks about the different parts of the body and how they need to come together and how they're all important. That I shouldn't be envious of a foot or a hand shouldn't be envious of the mouth because it's together that they all come and that's where the power is. And that's the part of the church that we need to remember, is that we're all important and we're all necessary. And that the, some people have a more prominent role and some people have a more behind-the-scenes role, but neither one is any more important. The person who stands up here is no more important than the person who readied the sanctuary for the service or the person who's going to make sure it's clean at the end. No more important is the person that has a more public face than the person who's at home every day talking diligently with the Lord and listening to what the Lord is saying to them about this church. Amen? We are all in this together. Now I'm going to go back to that Peter scripture again. And um, I want to go to verse 2. So we're going to get rid of these things in verse 1. And then in verse 2, Peter says to us, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow up into your salvation. So the pure milk of the word, here it is, right? The Bible. This is God talking to us. This is God talking to us and telling us about himself. Because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him intimately. And he wants us to know his promises and that he's true to those promises. That we can count on him. And so that 
pure spiritual milk that Peter talks about so that we can grow into our salvation. And so in the Methodist churches, through John Wesley, we have this beautiful description of grace and the three types or the three stages of grace. And I just love this so much. And it's the thing that, I think it's the thing that I love the most about the Methodist church is its emphasis on grace. Because we all need grace. And God gives it so freely. It is a gift. And this is how John Wesley described grace. The first stage is provenient grace. That's the grace that God is giving us before we even know it, before we even know him, as it says, while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemy. Before we were born, he started with that grace. Jesus went to the cross for each one of us before we were even born. And he's chasing us. God's chasing us every day. And he's been calling to us and calling to us to come nearer and nearer to him. And then we get to a stage where we recognize God. And we accept his call. And we start a relationship with him. And that's the second stage of justifying grace. And that's when we receive our salvation. And that's when we have our destiny of eternity promised with him but then there's a third stage you see it doesn't end with just saying yes and accepting him it doesn't end with just taking that taste then we move into sanctifying grace and that's the rest of your life on earth from that point when you say yes god I recognize you, I love you, I want Jesus to be my Savior. The rest of our life, whether it's one hour, a hundred years, we are walking in that sanctifying grace where we are trying to become more and more like Jesus. That we are looking at ourselves. Here's the mess, right? Looking at ourselves, what do we look like? What does Jesus look like? And how are we going to get there? And it's messy because we're getting sculpted and we're getting changed and we're getting pushed out of our comfort zone and we're doing all of these things. But as we do it, we just keep tasting more and more of the goodness of the Lord, which is the encouragement for us to keep moving forward in that sanctification process. It is a process. And then that third verse that Peter says, you do all of this, and you can do all of this if you have tasted that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Amen? He is good. He is so good. And he wants you to just jump in. He wants you to put aside trying to stay within your own power. You know, we live our life usually... Um, looking at what, things that we know we can handle or things that we know we can do. But what does he want? He doesn't want us relying on our own power. When we are weak, he is strong. He wants us to go way outside of what we know is our realm, things that we can accomplish in our human way, and to lean on him 
to bring him inside and to just take that power that is inside of us because of the resurrected power of Jesus and step out in his goodness and step out into that mess. As we mature in our salvation, we can take bigger and bigger steps outside of our own power, and it's getting messier and messier. But you know what I heard Tony Evans say? He said, God can take a mess and he can turn it into a message. Amen? Because in our life, every single one of us, we got a story or more than one of the mess that we've made and the redemption that has been brought into our life, the redeeming power of Jesus Christ because of the love of God. A mess becomes a message. And that is the message to each and every one of us that once we experience that, once we taste that, we want to share it. Let us taste how good God is by letting go of our control and entering the mess way above our elbows. Let's get rid of competition in the church and let the sovereign God who is so good, so good, be the one who is in control. God's control is called love. And it is a free gift. It is offered to us. And it's our decision. Are we going to accept it? Are we going to taste it? Are we going to bring it in? Are we going to make it a part of us? Or are we just going to keep it in our mind? Are we going to let it come into our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength, our whole being? Bring the Lord in in every single part of us. Because you know, once you taste that, you know that nothing else can ever satisfy you. Amen ingest that love and take it in make it a part of you so that you not only taste it but you can freely share it with others that is our calling to bring to a world that is desperate for hope the good news of jesus christ amen amen share outside the church but also share within the church Lift, your, lift one another up in the church. Thank people for what they do in the church. You know, that's a weakness, I think, in the church, that we don't thank each other enough. I know you're not doing it for your church only. You're doing it to serve God. But let's thank one another for what we're doing. I saw a lot of work has gone on in this other room here, of a setup. I'm assuming you're going to have a bazaar or an event, right? A lot of work. Thanks to those who have been involved. Thanks to Brad and Paul. You know, thanks to everyone who is in part of this service, who takes care of outside. Let's give thanks. And when we give thanks, let's remember that all glory goes to God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just want to taste you. We just want to taste you more and more and more that you just come into our life, Lord, that you shape us and you refine us with your redemption and your grace and mercy and forgiveness, Lord, that we can be a light in this world that is so desperate for hope, Lord, that is looking for hope in so many places that they will never find it. And there you are, Lord, with your hands outstretched, with a gift 
of forgiveness, grace, eternity, and salvation. Help us to help others taste how good you are, Lord, in the land of the living and in heaven forever. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Oh, thank you. We're going to prepare for a time of Holy Communion now. And in the Methodist Church, uh, the table is open to all. All who are willing to come after confessing your sins or your shortcomings, which we all have to the Lord, and asking Him to help us in those things. So let's have a time of prayer, and then we'll have a, a time of silence where you can individually talk to the Lord. Dear Lord, we just come before you, Lord. We bow down to your holy presence. As we sang at the beginning of the worship service, Lord, it's time to have a heart of worship. We're sorry for the things we make it about, Lord. We make it about ourselves. We make it about other things. We fall short. We don't trust you. We don't act like the Savior Jesus would have us act, Lord. But we confess those things to you, Father, knowing that you are all-powerful, all-loving, all-willing to forgive us that we have the opportunity to turn away from those things, Lord, to turn away and to turn towards you, to turn towards your goodness and to walk forward in that goodness. And so now, Lord, as we have a time of silence, let us individually speak with you and ask for forgiveness. Now let us join together in the prayer that Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us join together now in the reading of the Apostles' Creed.